this concept of the machine-to-machine business IoT world and the consumer world are still really two independent SIM profiles and two SIM capabilities. The standards bodies at 3GPP and the GSMA really need to bring those two working groups together to enable a seamless universal SIM subscription. That's a key enabler that says you're no longer being locked into a channel with a SIM card. The SIM becomes truly universal. Not everyone makes the news, but behind every growth driving experience, product and transformation are experts who shape the outcome. Welcome to Behind the Growth, a podcast for digital leaders and those aspiring to become one. Each episode features a candid conversation with a remarkable individual. Join us as we focus on their struggles, wins, and lessons learned you won't find anywhere else. Let's get started. Welcome to Behind the Growth. I'm your host, Mudasar Malik, and today we're celebrating Larry Bazoo, a seasoned telecom professional, and he's got a little secret about his passion hobby that he's probably going to share with us very soon. Uh, Larry, excited to have you here with us today. I'm very pleased that you allowed me to have the opportunity to speak to you guys today and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you, you and I, we've talked about it. We're going to discuss eSIMS. But first, let's start with your career journey and just your journey overall, I think, because I want to bring in not just your career, but your passion as well. Okay. Thanks. Uh, what I was going to start today was I was going to talk about, you know, I graduated from university with an engineering degree. But I think as we prepped for the meeting, it came up that when I applied to university, I actually applied to the faculty of music to be a mm. conductor mm. and never actually showed up. I actually switched the, to electrical engineering program before I started that. Mm -hmm. So roll it forward to today where I'm now wanting to become a classical guitarist and go back to re-enter the faculty of music to get sort of conservatory certification. So guitar is my passion. But when I switched to electrical engineering, I graduated. It was probably 1987, the fall of 1987. I graduated from Ryerson. At the time, it was called Ryerson. It's Metropolitan University today. Mm -hmm. And got my first job at the Hospital for Sick Children here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. I was working in the medical engineering department, spending a lot of time with looking after the nuclear medicine equipment and diagnostic imaging. I had some various other departments I supported. But it was through that time that I kind of got this passion for networking, large imaging equipment with satellite equipment. So the equipment can be left for imaging and patient care. And the doctors doing their imaging re reading and reports would be on separate consoles. And we had to figure out how to network those. Mm -hmm. And at the same time in the late 80s, you know, the analog cell networks were launched and the doctors were carrying the very large cell phones so yeah. that they could be on call yeah. and reachable. The one they the used to call ultralight, but they never were. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that's just the battery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they were carrying those, and the doctors were asking, is there any way that we could transmit the images over the cell network so that if they were away from the office when a patient was in and they needed to come in from an on-call service, they could quickly get the image wherever they were because they would lose time commuting into the office to read an image, you might lose 30, 40 minutes commuting to the hospital just to read an image. Could they get the images delivered over cellular data? And so that kind of sparked my interest that somehow imaging and networking would come together with cell phones. And in about five years after I was at Sick Kids, cell networks were really starting to become popular and I decided I would leave the medical industry and join the cell industry because I felt that 
this idea of cell phones and data would be a big topic one day in the future. And I started back then in 1993 at Bell Mobility, and I was a network administrator Hmm. and in their IT systems and evolved into their technical architecture team a couple of years later. And then I joined the services development team a couple of years after that. And that's really when I started to focus on the user experience and how people were going to use this new emerging technology. And so I helped Bell launch their initial digital networks with data services and interactive text messaging, bringing browsers to the cell phone so people could get stock quotes, they could get their weather alerts and traffic alerts, and then watch the networks evolve from their basic sort of slower sort of 14.4 speeds all the way up to the speeds we have today. Rolling it forward a few years, in 2008, I left Belmont and I joined the Rogers family And mostly because a lot of my network friends had moved over to Rogers at the Mm -hmm. time, and there was a great opportunity to join their services development team. Mm -hmm. And over there, I helped on some of the next generation services and helping to evolve the Rogers network. At the time, they'd launched 3G networks. So I got involved in launching LTE data, their voice over LTE, and then roll it forward to 5G initially. And then a lot of their eSIM services, which we'll talk about later around how do we enable eSIM in smartphones and then also the watch experience. How do you get eSIMs going on the watch? So that's really where I think I got to meet the folks at Mobile Live a lot more and really developed what the use case and sort of business cases were for eSIM in the industry. From its infancy, it took maybe 10 years before we saw the real beginnings of eSIM into commercial services. Absolutely. And I think that was, it was going to be one of my first questions. Right? The first time it was 2012 when they were introduced. So, and it's been a while, but it, you know, it seems to be resurfacing and is really spiking now in, in the rise of eSIMs. And, but reflect on that. Like, what has the journey of eSIMs been like so far? Yeah, when I look back in, from the Canadian perspective, hmm. eSIMs were introduced into sort of machine-to-machine and IoT services long before they came into consumer hands. They were embedded, and people used to use eSIM as embedded SIM, where they were hardwired into parking meters. Um, a lot of cars that came with their early uh, cellular services had SIMs hard-coded into the cars as well. Hmm. And the automotive and other manufacturers wanted to move to something a little bit more replaceable and swappable and that's why eSIM grew in that space early on. Mm. On the consumer side, the evolution of eSIM really had sort of three, I'll call it tipping points that came together. Some a little bit bigger weights into helping to move the shape. One really had to do with the this idea that you wanted to have multiple subscriptions on a phone. Mm. And today people will call it, you have dual SIM phones. and. Right. You didn't want to put two SIM cards in. Could I have a physical SIM and maybe use an eSIM as a second subscription service? Mm-hmm. Or could I have multiple subscription service, three, four, five? And you start to think about what that means as a use case down the road between my personal lifestyle services mm-hmm. and my work style lifestyle services. I could have subscriptions that keep them separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you wanted to bring the second part is we saw a shift around the 2017 timeframe where Some companies on the West Coast who produce mobile phones decided that they would adopt the eSIM, a little bit less GSMA standard, but they were going to help to drive the industry to adopt eSIM by making it happen and introduce some early eSIM devices into market to help signal the industry that we're moving there. And then we saw a couple other, I'll call it overseas OEM manufacturers start to introduce eSIM as a fast follow. So the carriers started to think about 
what were the impacts to eSIMS to how we offer services to customers? And what does that mean from the user experience of a customer? And I think one of the aha moments that I got was when I actually sat down and watched how you provision a secondary device like a watch or a tablet with a subscription service from a carrier. And you could start to understand how easy it was to just sit at home and activate your new subscription service and not have to wait for something physical to, to be mailed to you or to have to drive somewhere to pick up a physical ICC ID card. So I think that that OEM change and also the introduction of new technology on the devices enabled people to do that quicker. And the secondary market of tablets and accessory devices all came together in that time frame very shortly to drive that, or very quickly to drive that adoption. Yeah, yeah no, and you, you said it exactly. Like the, the OEMs, the, the, there were other industries who were early adopters. And then there came a time where certain device OEMs and they're under competition and really making it a, a basic standard. I think really were the, the pivotal moments, the catalyst were really the, the, the large adoption. You touched upon a very important part that eSAM inherently brings, which is convenience. And I'm also thinking that let's, let's also look at the flip side of it. How do you see businesses changing if they're looking to prevent losing their customers to competitors? Because now it becomes a lot easier, right? What it looks at, it, and one of the things you look at is a churn rate. It's a number that mm. we use in the business within yeah. carriers. What's the churn rate between carriers? And on average, you might see maybe a 1% churn rate. We'll just use that for simple numbers. Mm. In Canada, each of the big carriers have roughly 10 million customers. Mm. If you take 1% of that base churning every month, mm. you're looking at at least 100,000 customers moving between companies. And that means that 100,000 SIM cards have to change every month, just as part of your monthly business of how things flow. So simplifying that experience and saying, how do I bring someone who wants to come to my company in easily by getting them into more of a digital eSIM product rather than waiting for physical SIMs? We've seen some use cases previously that helped with that sort of port in and port out concept. I think that was one thing that is important for carriers to manage is you want to port in high value customers and make it easy for them to adopt to the carrier. And you don't want to port out the high value customers. Yeah. So you want to make it easy for them to stay with you. And that's sort of a, an underlying drive when you think about in the context of just churn itself. Yeah. When you talk about new customer experience in retail, and I come into the country as a new Canadian, or as someone getting my first cell phone, because there's people born every year and 18 years later, they want their cell phone, although it's a lot younger than 18 years these days. But they want to simplify the actual, actual point of sale experience. Today, you can actually get someone activated and out the door in minutes with an eSIM. With the physical SIM, you could see people spending 35 minutes to an hour in front of the point of sale or in a retail outlet just waiting for everything to process so that your physical SIM card would work. You'd have to open up the phone, put the SIM card in, make sure it worked. And then you'd have to wait because there's some over-the-air stuff that has to get to the phone to make sure your subscription service from the carrier is up and running. Yeah. And I think that's key because what do we as customers buy from the carrier? We buy subscription service and pay them for a monthly fee to be able to access their network. Yeah. And the tool we use to access their network is the SIM card. And eSIM, by digitizing that, you have a huge opportunity to simplify and create better experiences at the retail point of sale 
for onboarding customers, as well as getting new phones and switching between phones easily. So simplifying the onboarding and new phone experience is another key piece for eSIM adoption. Yeah, I hear you. Like I'm just my personal experience uh, traveling, getting an eSIM for, you know, I wanted a, a roaming package for data. And I, I've never met the operator, obviously. It was all digital. I bought it online. It was an eSIM experience and no retail, no no footprint, no, you know, there's, there's so much to the whole experience that I, it absolutely makes sense that why would we not have it and pick up. Do you, do you see any major change on the onboarding or activating of the eSIMs by service providers? Yeah, I, I think the way to think about this is for 30 years, the SIM experience didn't change. Yeah. From 1993 it's to, well, I say 25 years, you got your SIM card and off you went. Yeah. Think about this complexity. Carriers have their web channel. Mm. They have a direct retail point of sale system. They have indirect channels like in Canada, you would have like Best Buy, their point of sale systems or the Apple store. And then you've got to look at, I have my mobile phone with its experience. So there's multiple, multiple channels that have buy flows to enable these new services. Hmm. So introducing a new SIM platform means that you have to revisit channels that you may not have refreshed the backend technology in generations. Hmm. And so you start to look at the architecture and what does that mean to you and where are the most important pieces. And so in the beginning, we saw carriers really uh, struggle with how do I present eSIM byflows in various points of sale that makes sense for us hmm. versus a broad adoption because the backend systems needed a significant architecture changes on how the systems have evolved. So an eSIM itself sits physically in the network side where the call path and revenue generating business is. An eSIM sits in the BSS systems, the business support systems and the core IT pieces. And so those two worlds are really managed independently and you needed to make a lot of simple changes across a lot of systems to enable eSIM. And th I think that architecture shift is what mm. the OEMs were signaling to the carriers is start that process now because we know it's going to take a few years to get through the technology changes to enable the new buy flows. Mm. Do you also notice there is an increase in eSIM enabled devices beyond just smartphones or you know just restricting your telecom? Like, how do you see it in increasing other than just smart devices, smartphones? Well, I think that you start to look at where else do people have recurring subscription services mm -hmm. that you could use an eSIM for. I think areas where people want a really secure, protected path for appliances or devices to connect back to subscription services, whether those services have a display to subscribe to, like mm -hmm. a cell phone with today, or if you're like in a parking meter that doesn't have a display, but you need to remote provision those devices. You start to look at, um, I use parking meters a lot. You can start to look at look location services in long haul freight and tracking inventory. You're looking at remote locations like oil wells and mining companies who have tons of equipment that with cellular enablement and eSIM swapping, the ability to enable services to do remote locations and getting data from those locations to let you know that there's just keep alive once a month, getting a pulse that says I'm alive things are going well because I don't need to look at it often or there's an emergency, railway crossings down, it sends out an alert and someone can get there quickly and start to maintain equipment. So a lot more of that monitoring type of equipment, cellular enabling that 
enabling subscription services with remote provisioning. The business models in those environments are totally different than the consumer model. You're not having a device that might consume, you know, five to 10 gigabytes a month. You're talking about a low power device that might send 10 kilobits a month of statistical data uh, to a system. So different business models start to get enabled where you might have 10 million customers with a subscription service for smartphones in Canada. You would now have 500 million IoT devices if you roll it forward 20 years, all with some sort of subscription management being connected always on and always connected. Yeah, that's incredible. Like this, the, the, the future prospect of it is just incredible. Do you see bundling collaborations as, a, as an ecosystem? How do you envision cross-collaboration between industries and you know, different ECMU advisors? I would say early on, if you look at, I'll, I'll focus on telco as an example. Having a multi-play carrier, someone who offers wireless services and cable services or DSL services, they don't share their data buckets. You have your fixed line data access capability and I have my wireless data access capability. They're not connected. They're independent subscriptions. Mm -hmm. I think the eSIM is a really great way to have a common carrier profile downloaded into all of your fixed and wireless assets enabling you to have one profile independent of the actual access mechanism to the network. I think that's one of the first parts. I think the next part you'll see with the adoption of, I'll say, EV vehicles and the amount of technology in those vehicles and connectivity, mm -hmm. rather than the car having some hidden subscription service in the background, you'll start to see that when you buy your car, they'll ask you, oh, which telco service are you with today? I'll just add the car as another device to your account so you can seamlessly stream and Wi-Fi and all your diagnostics will go directly to your, your uh, car manufacturer so you can get your repair done in, in good time. So you can start to see that bundling of anywhere you need connectivity, first fixed and wireless, and then in industries like EV cars and home monitoring, you look at cameras, everyone's starting to develop these sort of home security cameras and some of them always don't have great Wi-Fi. If you're out at your mm. cottage, wouldn't it be great to have a Google phone that actually, sorry, a Google camera that actually has a SIM card in it that says, only if something happens, I'll wake up and transmit the video. Mm. Mm. So those are the type of new models you start to think about. Yeah, so also, do you, I'm hoping that I want to expand this a little more, and I just want to think through with some other, other use cases and ideas that we might just have for, for these ones. And... Are there any specific enablers, like do you think, which are really going to be playing a key part here? Well, I think the first part is carriers have to, and you have to is a hard word, go through the architecture evolution. I think that most of the industry is well down the path to enabling the energy to shift to this. In eSIM itself, other than the fact that your devices have a physical slot now in it that is the semiconductor that was the SIM card. The SMDP server, the subscriber management platform investment needs to be done completely end-to-end -end across all the systems. And another part people don't talk a lot about when you do subscription management in SIMs is the idea that you need to say, what am I eligible for? So this eligibility server that says, here's a list of the services I have available to your device. And so investing in IP-enabled eligibility servers 
a really important piece of enabling the next level to go. A lot of, I'll call it existing platforms across various sectors, the IT systems is the source of truth for everything you do. Mm. Entitlements usually sit on the network side. So how do we start to bridge those multiple domains in the infrastructure that said, I'm now going to make eligibility available to the SIM card profile. And as I start to enable new capabilities, the SIM card will know that in real time. I have a voice service. I have a data service. I can support a watch and a tablet or my camera back out at the cottage up north in Ontario is able to have services as I need them. And the eligibility piece, I think, is a key part of the uh, architecture. We really need to think about how do we break that cross-domain barriers in OSS and BSS systems and make it look like just one combined system to the subscriber. Yeah, absolutely. And Larry, we're coming up on our time and would love to hear from you that what do you see as the next evolution for eSense, if there is any? And any, any specific use cases that come to mind also? I think the first part is that we talked about it early on that this concept of the machine-to-machine business IoT world and the consumer world mm-hmm. are still really two independent SIM profiles and two SIM capabilities. Mm-hmm. The standards bodies at 3GPP and the GSMA really need to bring those two working groups together to enable a seamless universal SIM subscription. So when we talk about universal profile and what does that mean long term, but I think that's a key enabler that says you're no longer being locked into a channel with a SIM card. The SIM becomes truly universal. I think the second part is kind of alluded to it earlier is could you imagine a day when you buy a, a TV for your home and it comes with a SIM slot? What does that mean? Because now you start to think about what your profile is and the subscription services get, not just from connectivity, but you start to talk about what are your streaming services? How do I authenticate in a secure manner with a recurring subscription in one profile? And that eSIM is a universal enabler for that. You start to think about what you've got on your credit cards. You have a small little chip on your card. It doesn't look much different than an eSIM. In fact, the back-end providers who do eSIMs, whether it's GND, Jamalto, Thales, or uh, Demia, mm. they're very much into that side of the business as well. Mm. I think you're going to see a coming together of all of these identity platforms mm. to provide a next-generation, secure, trusted environment for identity and subscription mm. management. I think that's the universal enabler as we go into that next-gen of services enablement. So touch upon, I think you touched upon a very important part, the, uh, the identity security issue, a part of it. Your thoughts on that, like any, any, how you see that being tackled? I think that there is so much going on in the industry technically that the ability for those people who may have not the best interests at heart for us are easily able to innovate as quick as new capabilities come out. Yeah. I think that the SIM card and the secure solutions has been solid for generations and will continue to evolve to give us that trust. And I think what it comes down to is one fundamental, very simple security issue. Something you know, your carrier subscription, and something you have, the physical SIM card. There are two different things and there's no way to bridge the two worlds because it's something you know and something you have. And I think as long as we keep that going, it's a key piece that will allow us to keep customers' identity secure and less likely to be misused by bad behaviors. Yeah, so, and I agree. I think 
it's often the, the both the innovation grids are working hand in hand. It's, 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 a, it's a tug of war. Who, who gets there faster sometimes? I, I don't want to end the conversation before I hear what, when are you dropping uh, some next track? You know, we heard yeah, you um, pull some strings on that one and I heard you sing as well. So what's the plan yeah. there? Well, my plan right now is supporting my daughter's career as the piano scientist and helping her really get out there more with her collaboration. I've got a friend with a studio in Hamilton I'm helping out a bit and another friend in, in Maple. It's more supporting them than doing my drops. I will be <laughs> the man in the background playing some guitar tracks, maybe helping out with some vocals, but I don't think you'll see the CanadianMusician.ca Larry out there on his own, more as supporting the people that are around me. Love it, love it. I, I think we need uh, more people like you who can help others get there. Larry, thank you so much for your time today and for an insightful conversation. And to our listeners, um, watch this space. It's an exciting space to be in, and there's a lot that's going to be unfolding in the near future on that one. Uh, Larry, thank you again for your time. Uh, great to have you on the show. Thank you, and cheers. Cheers. Bye then. Thanks for listening to Behind the Growth. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow along on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This podcast is brought to you by Mobile Live, a team of digital experts bringing intelligence and efficiency to how businesses sell, serve, and save. For more episodes of Behind the Growth, please visit mobilelive.ca slash podcast.